Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome to Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, this is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we will focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we will talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them to be a guest on the show. Now, what makes this podcast a little bit unusual is that only one of us actually sails. That would be me, Bela. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the east coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very little about sailing. And as a matter of fact, I don't know port from starboard and attack is something that kids used to put on my chair right before I sat down on it when I was in elementary school. So I ask most of the questions and Bela will try to answer. Bela, it's great to see you. It's been a while. Have you been out on the boat lately? Yeah, we've been out lots, Mike. Uh, it's been a really good early sailing season. We've had some great sails. Uh, we've explored some parts of Narragansett Bay that we haven't been to previously. And uh, we took a nice long sail down to what's called the Mount Hope Bristol area. And there's a gorgeous old, uh, suspension bridge down there called the Mount Hope Bridge. And, you know, we go across bridges all the time, right? In the car, you drive across a bridge and you think nothing of it. But when you go underneath a bridge, you get to see the, the guts of the bridge. And what a, what a, it's always so impressive to me to see these, these how big they are, because they look so much huge when you're underneath them or so much larger when you're underneath them. And it's really impressive to me, this, this kind of great feat of engineering and construction and all the labor that went into those things. And the Mount Hope Bridge is not, you know, super long by suspension bridge standards, but uh, it's 285 feet high. It's 6,130 feet long. And between the spans, as they say, it's 1,200 feet long. So, I mean, it's a good size suspension bridge. And you know what? It, they started construction in 1927. That thing's almost 100 years old. And, you know, you think about how they did things back in 1927. You know, they, they didn't have safety lines for the construction workers. You know, now you, can't, you, now you can't go on the roof of your house without having OSHA come and say you have to have a harness and a, and a tether and all this kind of stuff. And, and those folks who built those bridges and those skyscrapers and, and all that stuff in the early days, man, they were just some brave, skilled people. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it really is. So you went under the bridge. And then what? Who was on board? Where else did you go? What's the story, Bela? Yeah, so my son, who lives here in upstate New York, uh, and his wife and her two daughters have actually been out to the boat twice now uh, for some long weekends. Uh, they came out over the Memorial Day weekend, 
which was really nice. So we had three days on the boat. And that's when we took this trip down to the Mount Hope Bridge and the Bristol area. Uh, and then they came back out uh, during uh, the end of June for another long weekend. Just, just they had a, a day off, the kids from school. So they decided to, to come out. You know, the granddaughters who are uh, eight and six years old, man, they really love the boat. They, they just, I mean, they come to life on the boat and, you know, they love looking at the charts to see where we're going to, where we're going to go. And, you know, they're always going, oh, hey, pop, can we go here? Can we go here? You know, and they just point on the chart and they have sort of no comprehension of how long it takes to get there or any of that stuff. But it's, it's just really neat. And I have these various, you know, being an engineer, um, and, and a little OCD, I have these checklists on the boat. Like, so, you know, when I, when I leave the boat, uh, when for, for an extended period of time, meaning I'm going home to the house, I have a checklist I go through to make sure everything's, you know, the way it's supposed to be. And I learned that lesson the hard way once when we left the boat and I was about halfway home in my, you know, three and a half hour drive. And I remembered I left one of the hatches open. Luckily, my son lives five minutes away, so I was able to call Andy and say, "Hey, Andy, can you can you close the can you close the hatch on the boat?" Uh, but after that, I made a checklist, and I have a I have a pre departure checklist. I have a checklist for putting up the sails, etc. So one of my granddaughters just loves going over the checklist. It's like, okay, we're going. Okay, let's go down the checklist, Pop. You know, and we kind of go down through it. So that's that's a lot of fun. And then of course Future they love engineer. doing stuff. Yeah. yeah, and they love future doing stuff. And future sailor, yeah. Yeah, you know, they get really, it's really, it's really heartening to see all the enthusiasm and excitement you see in little kids. Uh, it's great. And they love swimming off the boat. We'll, we'll go anchor out someplace and, and, you know, they'll swim laps around the boat. And, uh, and the big thing they want to do next is, is they want to do an overnight anchor. They've been asking, hey, Pop, can we go and anchor out overnight and sleep on the boat? Not at the dock, but, you know, anchored out someplace. So I want that to be a good experience. So next time they come out, they'll be out in August for a week. Uh, I want to get a nice, calm night when I'm not, we don't have to worry about winds picking up or any of that kind of stuff because they don't want drama. And when you anchor out, there there can be drama if if Mm -hmm. conditions change. So, uh, but yeah, so. We've done a, a fair amount of sailing, and Elaine and I've been there uh, without the kids a couple times, and uh, I went out solo twice. So it's been a, a, a good sailing season so far. Yeah. Nice. I'm I'm glad you got out there and enjoyed the time with your family. I know it's a big investment, and the reason the return on that investment is, uh, you know, for you, I know a lot of it is is um, it's the center of your family life in the summer. So it's great to hear. Um, yeah. Now you had, you you had mentioned to me something about an AIS. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So uh, finally installed one on the boat. Uh, when I bought the boat, it did not come with AIS. Now AIS stands for Automatic Identification System, and uh, I think it's one of the most valuable pieces of equipment you have on a boat uh, next to the radio. Right. So the radio that you can call other people on. And you can call for help. You can call the Coast Guard. I think that's, you know, that's a must have. And I think AIS is is right behind it. And uh, AIS comes in two flavors. Uh, one is a receive only. And, and I'll explain this in a second. And the other one is a transmit and receive. 
So if you have a transmit and receive AIS device on your boat, uh, and by the way, all commercial vessels are supposed to have this, an AIS transmit and receive. So if you have an AIS transmit and receive, your boat transmits its location, speed, heading, and the name of the boat. And boats that have the receive function can pick this up. And they ha now have that information. And that information either gets displayed on a dedicated unit that came with the AIS, or your AIS is basically a black box with some type of connection to your chart plotter. And your chart plotter is your screen, you know, it's your iPad that you can see where you are. It's, it's your GPS, right? Think about GPS in the car, same thing, but it's on the water. And, and these other boats will now show up on your GPS. So it's like driving around in your car and being able to see where all the other cars are. <laughs> Now, you know, if, if you're driving down a, the Autobahn, you know, you can, you can see them. But if you're out in some desolate place, it, might, it may be nice to know where other boats, other cars are. So this is really, really cool. And I think, you know, I, I, uh, I sort of experienced using these on the passages I did on other people's boats. So when I came up from Florida up to Newport and from Halifax, Nova Scotia, to Baltimore, those boats had AIS on them, and they were invaluable. And and one of the things that that makes them invaluable is that when you see another boat, you, you don't have any idea of sort of who they are. I mean, you can see it's a boat, and when you call them on the radio, you go, "Okay, this is uh, the sailing vessel Paradox calling the cruiser with the blue hull, approximately four miles south of Point Judith." <laughs> right? That's that's not very particularly if there's a lot of boats around. That's not very helpful. Um, whereas now with the AIS, you know the name of the boat, and you can call them by name. So you can say, you know, SV Paradox is calling motor yacht. Smith, you know, and and now they know that's who they're who's who's calling them, and and you can have that conversation. And the other wonderful thing about these AIS devices, there's various different apps that you can have on your tablet or your phone, or the chart plotter, which again is the the the, the GPS on the boat, that this will calculate how close these two vessels will come to each other. So. You can set up alarms that say if any if any vessel is going to come closer than um, you know a mile to me, you know start beeping and let me know. And so it's a great way of of sort of uh, knowing what's going on and and sort of increasing your awareness. Now, not all boats have these, so certainly not all pleasure boats have them. Um, commercial boats are supposed to have them. Uh, most commercial boats do have them. The ones that you often see that don't have them are the fishing boats. Uh, and and I, I've heard, you know, that the, the fishermen turn them off because they don't want the other fishermen to know where they're fishing. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so it's sort of a way of spying on your buddy. information, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're incentivized but, you know, not to share. Mm. Yeah, but the big freighters and, the, and, and the, you know, tugboats and all that kind of stuff, they, they all have them. And, and it's really great because you can you can sort of call them and talk to them and say, Hey, listen, I see you. Do you see me? 
and I, we're going to pass port to port. <laughs> and otherwise, you're sort of like eh, not knowing what's going on. So it, it's really it's really good. And, you know, this notion of being able to see how close you're going to come to each other is really kind of important because you don't realize how fast some of these large boats go. I mean, these big oil tankers and freighters, they go somewhere between 15 to 25 miles an hour. I mean, you don't, that's fast. I mean, I, I go five or six in the sailboat, right? And at 20 miles an hour, it takes less than three minutes to go a mile. So, you know, and when I'm going really slow, it may take me a little while to get out of the way of one of these big tankers. So being able to see them from afar and being able to call them and say, hey, listen, I'm going to turn to a new heading, uh, a new heading of 120 degrees to make sure we don't, you know, cross paths. And then he, that, the, that captain can acknowledge it and, you know, we're all good. So um, it's, it's really, really good. Uh, piece of kit to have and um yeah so i finally pulled the trigger and bought one okay bail i have a quick question though so is this a tool that you would mainly use at night or in a low visibility situation like fog or rain or something like that or is this something you use all the time when you're out on the water uh, all the time okay all the time right because again i can see it's a blue boat but there's three there's three blue blue boats within radio distance of of me. So if I go, hey, what's the blue boat? <laughs> you know, south right. of Point Judith, I could have three boats go. Hmm, is he trying to call me? <laughs> yeah. So I even use with, it all the in, time. Yeah, and even in clear weather and and uh, right, judging the distance can be can be a challenge. So it's better to better to have it on and use it. Huh? Oh oh yeah oh absolutely yeah. Judging distance is a challenge, yeah. right? Because it, it, it really is, it, it's not as easy as you think. And at night, it's a real challenge, particularly if you're close to shore, because there's all these lights on shore, and it's, it's really challenging. Now, I also have radar, so when the visibility goes down, and we have fog or, or night, uh, I can turn my radar on, and, and then I can see things that you, know, you can't see on AIS. I mean, on AIS, you can't see the land. I mean, it doesn't show land, right? It doesn't show buoys. It doesn't show all sorts of other things. It doesn't show boats that don't have AIS. And their radar will pick up a lot of that stuff. So that's another important uh, uh, piece of, of uh, technology to have. But, and uh, at night, AIS, you use them both, right? Oh, you absolutely. Use them together. Yep. Right. Yep. And when I turn on my chart plotter and I have the AIS on and the radar on, everything is, is superimposed on, on the GPS, on the chart, right? So everything is... Mm -hmm superimposed and i can see everything relative to each other yeah it's really good interesting so what's the general made, budget good yeah, yeah I, I was gonna say I, it's i think it's made this really a lot safer right from from Makes the sense. point of view of of hitting things and it it certainly lowers my anxiety level when yeah when you're and, and you know sometimes you're out and all of a sudden it can get foggy <laughs> Or, or you're not going as fast as you thought you were, and you're gonna you're gonna be out in the dark. Or, man, there's a heck of a lot of traffic that, you know, you get into a. There's choke points, just like there are on the roads, right? There's choke points where, you know, you have traffic jams, and or or you see three ships, and lots of times with these big freighters, it's really difficult to tell. Are they moving? Because you know they're you see them far away. You see them when they're five six mm -hmm. miles away, ten miles away. 
And are they anchored? Are they moving? How fast are they moving? What direction are they going in? And, and this AIS will tell you that. Boom. Right? So anyway. Interesting. Oh, you're asking about budget, what's, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What's the general budget for these things? Yeah. If you get a receive-only unit, uh, their, their prices come down to probably in the mid-300s, $300. Okay. $300. Uh, if you get uh, a, a transponder which transmits and receives, uh, they start around six and they go up to about a thousand, maybe twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. And is this something you would typically buy online and install it yourself, or is it something you get at like a marine store? Or is it something you buy at the marina and they install it? What's the what's the general flow here? All all of those options are available. Okay. So, you know, you can, you can buy it uh, at, at a, a marine store. You can buy them online. These days, you can buy anything online, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you can install it uh, or you can hire somebody. There, there, are, there are companies that are electronic specialists, right? Electronic systems. So they do autopilots and chart plotters and radios and AISs and radar that's what they do for a living, and you can hire one of those folks to install it. Yep, I ended up I ended up installing this one myself. Uh, you know me. I, that's mm -hmm. that to me is part part of the fun and part of the challenge. Yeah. Yep. So how did you get started with this one? What did you do first? Yeah. Well, so the first thing is deciding which one you want to buy. So there's like 35 different brand slash model combinations of AISs. Right. Wow. It, it, to me, it's That's... like the analogy I give of, you know, going to the grocery store these days. It's like walking down the bread aisle. There's a whole aisle of bread and, and you know, there's seven grain bread and four grain bread and eight grain bread and wheat bread and whole wheat bread. It's just like overwhelming. This was the same way. There's like over 35 different brands and model combinations. Wow, but knowing you, Bela, with your engineering mindset, I imagine you had like a list of must-haves and some nice-to-haves to set up uh, that you had set up before you started. What were your criteria as you started your search? Yeah, well, you you know me, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So, I I like to you know read about these things and know as much information in general about them as I can, and then I did exactly what you're saying. I sort of wrote a list. Okay, here's what I want, right? And and for me, that list was. I wanted a transponder. So that's one that transmits my boat's information and receives other boats' information, right? The lower-priced ones, the ones that are in the mid-300s, are just receivers. So they're not transmitting your location. But I, want, I think it's just as important for other boats to see me as, as I want to see them. So I wanted a transponder. Uh, and, and there are... There's like three different categories of transponders. There's class A, class B, and I think there's a class C. Class A are for the big boys. Those are for the big freighters. So they're, they're not, I can't even buy one of those, right? I bought a class B unit. So that part was easy. I also wanted one that I could connect to my chart plotter in the cockpit, right? So in my cockpit where the wheels are, the steering wheels are, I have a 12-inch display, that's basically, again, analogous to the GPS in, GPS in your car, and I can see where I am. So I wanted one that connects to that as opposed to a dedicated unit that has its own display, right? I, I didn't want to have another display. And I have a network on my, my boat, so I wanted one I can hook into the network. So that got, just doing that, got the list down to 
uh, I think about 25. So from 35 to 25. Wow. <laughs> and then over the last two years or so, most manufacturers have introduced this new category or a second, I'll call it the second generation. So the first generation of units transmitted at two watts of power. So transmission power is sort of how far your signal will transmit. And they transmitted your location uh, every 30 seconds. So these were, these were units that use something called, so here's for all the nerds, CSTDMA technology. I don't know what it stands for, but that's sort of the older units. So the important thing to remember is the transmission power is 2 watts, and, and they transmit every 30 seconds. Uh, and the code name for transmitting every 30 seconds is this CSTDMA. <laughs> hmm. right? Okay. The newer models, which have been out about two years, transmit at 5 watts. So it's more than twice as powerful. So that in theory, means your signal is going to transmit further. So boats that are further away can see you. Uh, and, they and they transmit the signal anywhere from 1 to 30 seconds, depending upon how fast your boat is going. And, and the, the, the tech name for this is SOTDMA. So that's, that's what you'll see. In the, in the adverts for these things, you'll see, uses new SOTDMA technology. But that means it has a variable transmission speed of anywhere from 1 to 30 seconds. So I felt the transmission power was important because I want people to see me from as far away as they can. So more, more power, further distance, other boats can see you. The transmission rate for me, being a sailboat, I never go very fast, doesn't really isn't that important, right? I mean, every 30 seconds is, is fine for me to transmit, but you can't separate these two. They kind of go together. Um, so that, that sort, so I decided I wanted this sort of second generation or these newer uh, brands and models. And uh, so, you know, that, that sort of narrowed the list down a little bit. Okay, so that seems pretty straightforward. So you made your choice. Ah, but wait, Mike, <laughs> but wait, Mike. <laughs> There's more options. So some, and this, most of these have to do with sort of uh, how easy it is to install, and it's kind of a different category. A lot of this is not about functionality now or, 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 or its, its performance, but more about sort of ins installation and your ability to configure it and stuff. So some models come with a, what's called a built-in antenna splitter. So these AIS units have to connect to an antenna and they typically use the same antenna as your uh, VHF radio, which is the radio you call other boats on. So I only have one of those antennas on the boat. It's at the top of the mast and it's not an easy feat to sort of go up the mast, install another antenna, run all the cabling down inside the mast into the boat. So you can get what's an antenna splitter. So the antenna plugs into one part of this box and the AIS plugs into another part of it and your radio plugs into another part of it. And those two devices basically share the antenna, okay? Uh, and you can either get these built in or if it's not comes built into the unit, then you have to buy a separate antenna splitter. And 
I just wanted one that's built in, right? Just easier. I don't have another piece of another box to figure out how to install it and et cetera. So and I where wanted to put to build, it, right? I mean, the space yeah. is kind of limited too, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Which, which became one of the larger challenges in me installing this. Uh, and some of the models come with different types of connectivity. So some have, uh, you can connect to, so in other words, other devices can connect to the AIS using Wi-Fi. And some of them also have USB connections. So the Wi-Fi is typically used to connect a tablet or a cell phone or a computer so you can display that AIS information on these various different navigation apps you can get for your phone or your tablet, right? So the way that interface is done is through Wi-Fi. So I, I wanted that because I, I, I use my phone and a tablet as sort of my backup navigation system, right? So if my my big navigation system, the one that's out by the cockpit, if something happens to that, I, I, I want to have a backup. So I actually have a tablet and on my and installed on my phone. So I have basically three GPSs on my on my boat. Uh, and the USB is uh, usually used to connect the AIS unit to a computer for kind of setup and configuration. So, you know, you have to program in the name of your boat. You have to program in various different, you, you, how big it is, and a bunch of other parameters. And, and so you can use the U, USB connection for, for that kind of stuff. So those were all the things I wanted. Uh, that kind of the, on the option side, right? I wanted a built-in antenna splitter. I wanted Wi-Fi connectivity. I wanted USB connectivity. So after going through all that stuff, uh, I finally figured out, okay, I'm going to buy a, a particular one, and it's Cytex. Uh, that's S-I-T-E-X. And the model number is M-D-A-5. It has all the features I was looking for. And just to be clear, you know, this is not a product endorsement. This isn't sponsored by anybody. This is just the process I went through, and it's what works best for me. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's probably uh, a half a dozen models by manufacturers that meet those specifications that I talked about. So I'm not endorsing anything or, and they're not sponsoring me or in any way. So, uh, that's the one I ended up picking out. Yeah. Don't mistake us people, listeners, watchers for these so-called media, social media influencers, right. That get paid to do this stuff. You and I made a pretty, a very conscious decision when we started doing this, that that was not what we wanted to do. Uh, so I think, you know, whatever, there's 1.2 billion content creators out there. Um, one, 1.1.9, you know, 99% of those want to make some money off this and you and I, I do it just for fun. So I think that's important. But that said, where did you wind up buying this? You said you could buy it online. You could buy it at a Marine shop. You could buy it at the Marino. What did you wind up doing? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the next step. Now that you know what you want to buy, you got to figure out where, who you're going to buy it from. <laughs> right. So again, I did a little bit of research about various different sort of online, uh, online retailers that sell them. Uh, I found that the online retailers uh, had a pretty good price compared to going into my typical uh, Marine store. And uh, so I ended up buying it from a place called the GPS store. Um, which sells, as 
you can imagine all sorts of GPS stuff for your car, for your airplane, for your boat, right? That's what they specialize in. And uh, they have a, they have a one retail outlet, but I think most of their business is online. And, and I will say they were excellent, right? They were fast. They had great pricing. Um, and the delivery was good. I had a question about during the install process. They helped me with that, you know, immediately. And uh, again, I'm not endorsing them. I'm just sharing my experience. Um, and uh, it was, uh, so I ended up buying it from the GPS store. Nice. Okay. So you ordered it up a few days later, UPS person drops off the box. What's next? Yeah. Getting it installed. And boy, this was a journey as well. So uh, I had a, I had a, I needed a couple things, right? I need 12 volts of power. <laughs> I need to bring electricity to it. And I wanted that to, to be switched. So I want to be able to switch this unit on or off. So it turns out on my, my electrical panel next to my navigation station, there's a little rocker switch that's labeled spare. I said, great. <laughs> I'll just hook it up to that switch. It took me a while to figure out how to get, how to get to that switch and where it is in the wiring harness and all that kind of stuff. Um, but so I needed power. I needed to be close to the VHF antenna in my radio uh, because I needed to run, a, you know, the shorter the cable, the better. You don't want to run long cables here so I can make those connections. And I also needed to be close to my existing network, right? My boat actually has a network on it that all these electronic devices plug into so they can see each other and talk and talk to each other. And of course, space is tight on a boat. And man, after exploring several options and I went down a couple of rabbit hole dead ends, uh, places I thought would be really good to install it, but I really couldn't get access to it very well. I think I spent about two hours. I thought oh, this is perfect to install it behind this panel. And I spent about two hours trying to figure out how to remove that panel. And after having a pile of screws that I took out, <laughs> I still couldn't get access to that panel. It wouldn't budge. So hmm. I ended up putting it in a place that's pretty accessible. Uh, but before I sort of, you know, start drilling holes to mount things and, and running cables in through behind things I sort of patched things together so I kind of hooked hooked things together as best I could without installing everything permanently to turn it on and just to make sure everything works because I didn't want to like get everything installed and then find out yeah, before oh, you're drilling holes yeah yeah exactly exactly so I just used some double-sided sticky tape and I you know uh, to help hold things where I think I wanted them I could run the cables make sure everything all the lengths were okay etc uh, I turned it on and yep, it worked. So that was good. And and then I went, you know, I got out the drill and the saw and I start sawing and drilling and uh, screwing things together. So I think that whole install process took four to six hours. I mean, it, you know, it's the first time I did it. I'm not very fast and I, I tend not to not to rush stuff because I find that when I rush, I make mistakes. So I got it installed. Uh, it took me about 10 minutes to configure. I mean, that was the easy part. You know, I hooked a UBS cable, USB cable up to my computer. I had an app. Boom, it opened up. I put the information in. Uh, and then I tested it. And, yep, there it was. I could see it on my chart plotter in the cockpit. I could see other boats that were around me. Uh, I could see it on my tablet. I could see it on my phone, on the apps I had there. And there's a couple of uh, web-based apps 
called, I think one is AIS Tracker, where you can track ships around the world, right? Uh, based on their AIS signals. So somebody just aggregates all the AIS signals and puts them on a map. And uh, there's a couple of those. And so I got on one of those to see if my boat shows up, <laughs> right? right? And lo and behold, there it was. So that was kind of cool, right? I, I showed up on one of these AIS tracker uh, apps. So I knew my boat was transmitting. So that was good. So yeah, so that all cool. went. Uh, did you did, did you did you install this before you went out on your trips or after? I think I had. We, I think we went out twice after after install. So and uh, yeah, did you find yourself naturally just using it? And was there a situation where like, okay, that was really cool. Like, I'm really glad I did this. Yeah, you know, I, I could. Uh, I there was a couple times when I could see boats, you know, and and then I'd say, oh, what's the name of that boat? You know, uh, one of the interesting things when you see big commercial boats on here, uh, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes, but it, it will tell you where they're going to, like what their destination is. Ah, interesting. <laughs> right, which is kind of cool. Uh, but there wasn't anything in the two days I got to use it that was, you know, like, oh, boy, I was really happy we had that. But I, I will say when when I was on those longer passages, there were situations where, you know, Boy, we were glad. We were glad we could we could we could see the names of those boats. I, in one case in particular, I remember going going through uh, the port of New York, where there's a big anchorage uh, just outside the harbor where all the big freighters anchor, and we were weaving our way through there, and you can't tell if they're anchored or they're pulling anchor, getting ready to move, or any of that stuff. Well, the AIS tells you that, <laughs> right? It tells you whether they're anchored or not, or it tells you whether they're moving at one knot. <laughs> so, you know, there are there have been situations in the past where I've been really, really happy to, to have it. That's really cool. So, yeah, project well worth it, right? It's probably a full day between the research and the ordering and the installation. But hopefully, you know, if it saves you from one near miss, one stressful situation, probably well worth it in the, you know, what, under $1,000 that you put into it, huh? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was much more than a day. I'll, I'll say that if I added up all okay. my time. But all luckily, time. Right. I'm retired, and you know, I, it's I enjoy doing this kind of stuff. So it's great. But the AIS gets the Bela Musitz seal of approval as a yeah. piece of gear that's maybe not a must-have for everybody, but a must-have for some and a nice-to-have for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're in a busy area, particularly if there's a lot of commercial shipping around. It's a great thing to have, and if you're and if you're doing a, a longer passage or something like that, I think it's a great thing to have, right? And these alarms are really good, particularly when you're, you know, you can set up an alarm that says, "Hey, you guys are going to come within a half a mile of each other." <laughs> yeah, and it gives you enough time to do something about it. Exactly, right? exactly. So yeah, so it was really good. I'm really happy I did it, and uh, I'll give you a report later in the uh, end of the season to see how things went. But uh, what do you say, Mike? You think it's time we wrap this one up? Yeah, agreed. Really interesting conversation, Bella. Thanks. And listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. Uh, we hope you found the conversation interesting and thought-provoking as well. If you have questions about what we've discussed, please always feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you enjoy the podcast, hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, hey, and if you know someone that would make a good guest on the show, let us know. Uh, we'd love to invite them on. 
you know, we're, uh, we're, hey, Mike, we're heading out to the boat on Tuesday as we record this. This is the Thursday before the 4th of July holiday. And uh, 4th of July falls on a Monday this year. So Tuesday, we're heading out to the boat. We'll be out there for about a week. And, uh, you know, I, since I retired, uh, I find that sailing weekdays and non-holidays is so much less crowded. And it's just, it's just nicer. So I tend not to sail on, you know, everyone will be out on the water this July 4th weekend, but I'll be home and I'll be going out right after most of the crowd leaves. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon. Bailey, that's great from over here in Münster, Germany. Sail safely and we'll see you next time. <laughs>